Hi there, welcome to episode 62 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast and I'm your host Gary Turner. Today I'm very excited to introduce you to Mike Jones who is founder of Leadership by Inspiration. Um, Mike's actually a really interesting character, someone that used to be in the forces many years ago, someone that works with a very deep passion um, in the leadership and development sector, um, helping organizations transform their cultures. And just to give you a little bit of um, a feeling as to Mike, um, as we get this conversation going, he speaks about how can we create environments where people can actually give themselves to the work and enjoy work and not have to hide part of themselves to be part of the organization. What a wonderful, wonderful sentiment and what a great hook for you, I hope, to join Mike and I as we go through this conversation over the next 45 minutes. So again, looking, please enjoy the conversation between myself and Mike Jones and uh, please do let us know what you think. Cheers. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I'm really excited to introduce you, the listener, to my guest of the evening. Uh, the guest this evening is Mike Jones, who is founder of Leadership by Inspiration. And good evening, Mike. Oh, good evening, Gary. Thank you for having me on. Not at all. How are you doing today? How's things? Yeah, it's good. Um, busy day, as usual. So, uh, yeah, just trying to get myself relaxed and sort of focused now um, and have a good chat. I think it's a great end to a busy day. Fantastic. Well, look, as we get going, would you mind introducing yourself, Mike, a little bit more background to you for the listener? So, you know, what do you actually do for work? And also, what are you passionate about? Oh, well, um, I was a soldier for 18 years um, in the British Army. I sort of finished off as an instructor at the Royal Military Academy Sanders. I taught the next generation of leaders for the British Army. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, I was diagnosed uh, with PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder um, and clinical depression due to uh, things that happened throughout my career on operations in sort of Iraq and Afghanistan. But it was, it was those points in my time of Afghanistan that led me to follow what I do now. So it was all about following the question that what, why do people follow you? Because they want to, not because they have to. And that has sort of been my premise that's led me to what I do now as a organizational psychologist for my company uh, leadership by inspiration um, and what we do is we understand culture understand what is actually happening in organizations and then look to see what's the future desired state and how do we get there and a lot of that is through everything you talk about in these podcasts Gary really it's all about bringing back to sort of the human focus to realize what the needs of the um, individuals of the team the humans in the organization because they're going to be the driving power for any form of change or performance activity that happens in the organization oh wonderful thanks thanks for sharing that mike and what what in, what's inspired you since setting up your your business over the last few years what sort of changes or what sort of sort of trends are you seeing that's, that's really given you hope for the future i think what's really inspired me is this sort of movement um with the humanistic focus um, coming back to organizations because I remember a while back when everyone was talking about the introduction of AI and um, of technology people were starting to forget about the actual human-centered approach where actually you can have those but AI and that is only there to help assist the humans in your organization not to take over and it's great to see and what's really inspiring now is people are starting to recognize that and they're really putting their efforts to actually building the skills and development and giving people a general sense of purpose in their organization. They feel that they can actually contribute, which is so important. Um, but also it's, uh, it's realizing that without putting the focus back on the humans, we're not going to get the performance or we're not going to be able to handle the challenges that the modern environment is throwing at us. It's really interesting, isn't it, Mark? I think one of these things I'm certainly finding at the moment as I talk to people like you and others is it's almost like we're, we're going, hang on, 
we need to adapt to change, but change is constant. So like, it's almost somehow we're waking up to the fact that we're always changing every single second. And actually it's okay. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that's, that's important. I think realizing that change, we've gone to these days where we have this whole, right, we've got a big massive change program where we need to do something. So we're just gonna change everything at once. And they wondered why that there was always a struggle that was mass resistance. We realize, re, now we realize that the, the, the world we're in is far too complex, far too volatile, that we need to adopt change as a constant. It needs to happen over quick wins, um, long-term strategy, it all comes in. But realizing that we can't change the world overnight, we need to have a steady flow of um, micro changes the keystone changes that can really make a massive impact. It's what's really interesting, actually, straight away, we knew this would be a great chat, Mike. You know, your background in rugby, you know, I think back to um, the likes of Clive Woodward, also think back to the B Sky B cycling team. There's been a lot of talk the last few years about marginal gains, and you're sort of speaking to that sort of regular iterative change rather than big bang change. Is that something you'd agree with or challenge, or how's that come up in your work? No, yeah, that's exactly it. And I know for people might think, well, it's contribute to what I do because I, I, I measure and identify culture first before I then go in to do any sort of development because I realised that to make any actual change, you need to understand what's going on. You need to understand what the challenges are, what the strengths are, the frictions that, that the culture is causing. So by identifying it, then we can then look to what the desired state is. And, but that, gap that we've created we know the start point we know the finish point that gap there doesn't need to be a overnight let's run and do it let's let's look at okay what what can we do now that's not gonna um shake the boat or is gonna rattle anyone too much and start increasing it and increasing it over time so we start getting people into that uh, adaptable mindset to be able to to understand why it's happening and what they can do to contribute into that change. So yeah, it's all about that marginal gain of just understanding about what, what little things can we do that have a bigger impact than just trying to change what we think is the most obvious um, problem uh, that we face. It's really interesting to me this. There's a couple of words you've used in the, in the last couple of sentences which really make me smile, which is one which is long-term, and the other one is why? You know, and I think I'm really interested because certainly my experience over the last years, the long-term view and having people ask you why are not embedded, are they, in organisations as a sort of standard protocol? No, no. And I, I think we've got to this um, state, this very myopic view of like, right, okay, we just need to make the next target or we're driven by these targets. And that becomes our focus. We realise that if you want to be successful and sustainable, we need to have that long-term vision of what we're trying to get to. And then also the why is important because understanding um, or giving clarity to people that are involved in your organization is key because if that clarity, that gives them the understanding of what, what it's about, what they can do to enhance it and how does it affect them and what are they doing on a daily basis that's actually contributing to the, the bigger cause. And that gives people a sense of drive, sense of purpose and understanding. And also it gives people boundaries so they have flex in there to be autonomous, to, to push things, in, be innovative and also understand what actual failure is within that uh, context of change or development. Do you think there's, in terms of those, those points you make, Mike, I really like those around clarity and boundaries. Because if you use the word boundaries, some people think, you know, it's tight or you know, we're being micromanaged or in a job spec. But I think what you're speaking to more is actually, it's the other, it's the other way, which is actually how, how far can those boundaries be that people can push up to but still feel safe? Yeah, and, and that's it. And it's all by creating these boundaries, not to restrict people, but it's how we can make it a safe environment um, so that people can be innovative and fail. But it's not going to be a catastrophic failure, hence like with the the bank crash and stuff that's where people didn't have boundaries they pushed it and pushed it and it gets that far you you can't you can't learn from it because it's so vast there's so many different we can learn from it but you know what i mean it's it's the failures happen it's catastrophic um 
there's no real coming back from it but if you set boundaries people can push it learn you can reset those boundaries make them bigger make them smaller if need be while people are learning developing within there but it's given that role clarity and those boundaries it gives people a sense of certainty which they need to be um, more productive and feel that they can develop within their role Okay, so I want to come and work with you, Mike. It's, the work you're doing sounds like where I want to be, mate. <laughs> so, Mike, I noticed that part of your methodology is actually includes self-awareness. And I was just interested to ask, how, how pivotal or how peripheral is self-awareness to the work that you do? Uh, self-awareness to me and to uh, our company is, is, is the cornerstone of everything we do from when we assess and identify culture all the way through to when we um, profile senior leaders and look at developing leaders and teams, it, we do self-awareness first. Without, any, without a shadow of a doubt, we concentrate on increasing people's self-awareness uh, because without it, you, you can't really progress, I don't feel. That's interesting. And how, how do your clients react to that because self-awareness isn't always the obvious starting point for those that have maybe been brought up over the last sort of 20 30 years in a different education system yeah it, i get quite a mixed uh, view on it some really into it and engaged i think the um the sort of more the awareness of self-awareness um is is coming more prevalent in organizations so they understand a bit more there are some that as soon as you start going into that because it's the the, the suppose what you call it softer side or the intangible side of it people could be quite fear, fearful of it but we open it quite gradually and we explain why and why it's so important that we go self-aware and the benefits that they see from actually focusing on that first before then we start developing other things uh, they see they see it so much better because everything's they have more clear understanding of themselves and also clear understanding of what they're trying to achieve and that's i think always important no that's that's so fascinating for me because you've mentioned a couple of times now around sort of clarity being clear i i do wonder interest in your view on this mike there's, there seems to be a bit of a sort of conflict between this short-termism of the financial markets like you say having to hit the numbers for the next quarter versus what we actually really want to do as human beings which is collaborate connect innovate together but there's this external pressure of short-termism you know do you see that changing at all or what sort of conversations you're having with your clients as to how they manage that that conflict well funny i come back to self-awareness what i tend to explore around is make them understand about the external environment using sort of the term VUCA as a volatile uncertain complex ambiguous environment and get them to understand about how that they're conflicting so if you imagine it as a sort of pendulum the VUCA environment is going one way our culture is going there's always going to be conflict there so it's all the time what the environment external environment is doing is forcing us to be uh, myopic it's forcing us to rush and haste or um, have sort of leadership paralysis or decision making paralysis because it's it's uncertain it creases it but what we can do is just accept that the external environment's there and there is conflict and think about what can we do to minimize the conflict that is getting caused and one of those things is clarity about having role clarity about boundaries we said about um communication up and uh, opening communication um simplifying processes so it enables people to be able to be more collaborative a lot easier they can go across um, departments and speak directly to each other instead of having to go through quite a, a bureaucratic chain. So things like that we can do, we just accept that it's there. Yeah, that's, that, that, that really speaks to me, actually. I talk quite a lot myself, Mike, around presence, and it seems to be totally counter to how we've been brought up and, you know, the way we're meant to lead. But I, I've certainly found myself, as I've gone through my own challenges around mental health in, in the past, that actually getting quiet, getting still, and actually getting off that hamster wheel tends to, can open up so much space in our minds and in our creativity and in our connection with other people. Is that something you've experienced yourself or how do you come across sort of presence with your, with your clients? Yeah, I think a lot of it is um, definitely leadership 
um, sense. We've been taught in this whole Taylorism view of leadership where you must have all the answers. Um, you're the leader, so you must lead. You make the decisions and you remove yourself from the people that actually are, are doing the job. And we realise that you can't. It, it, the world, the information now, the knowledge economy is huge. One person only has a finite amount of ability or cognitive capacity. So the, the fact that a leader's there meant to absorb everything is it can't happen. That's why we need to have situation humility to realise that we, we don't have the answers. We're not going to have the answers, but we've got a whole plethora of knowledge and experience within our team. And it's taking ourselves to just go down and speak to them, inform them what's going on and actually listen to what they've got to say and use their capacity as well. That's, that's such a wonderful comment. Such a wonderful comment. I, I was wondering when we get onto the vulnerability part, Mike. <laughs> we've, we've got there really well, actually, that, that, that having to have all the answers. Um, how, do you, how do you help people know it's okay not to need all the answers? I think a lot of it comes back again to self-awareness. Just realise about what are, what are their actual key strengths are, what are their um, sort of challenges, and what what their values. Really getting depth, just um, get beyond the sort of surface level stuff of self-awareness, and really get down in there. But by that, you sort of make them realise that okay, yeah, that's what I am. I mean, um, that's what I need to develop. I'm not going to be able to develop everything, but I've got some really strong strengths here but um, I can utilise them better by involving myself in a team. And this is where vulnerability comes, to actually step out of that perceived shadow of leadership and communicate to people and just be honest. I think that's what people miss nowadays, especially if you look at um, the way that, uh, I hate to get on politics, but the way the politicians <laughs> are, you can't get an honest answer. And they wonder why people don't connect with them because it's not been vulnerable enough to say, do you know what? Um, I don't have all the answers, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, build a team around me that can give the answers and we can communicate uh, together to actually um, conquer some of these solutions. Yeah, that, 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 that's really fascinating, actually. There's, um, I'm not sure if you've come across the, tr the trust equation, um, Mike, in the past. Uh, no, no. Yeah, it's, it's it's really really interesting. It's um, I believe I get this right. Um, so trust equals I think it's in um, intimacy, in, intimacy and integrity over self orientation. With self orientation being self awareness, and there just seems to be this really close alignment between you mentioned humility, vulnerability, honesty, clarity. All of these things are deeply human, but all really underpin building that level of trust, don't they? Yeah, exactly. That, um, people got to remember that we, we haven't changed since the day that we've called our caves. It's the, the environment and context around us has. Um, and we still have these these basic instincts and needs that we, we well, needs that we have to have to be met. And this is all this about trust. We, we're not going to go and follow someone. We're not going to believe and invest our time into someone if we don't feel that they're being honest or they're deceiving us in any way the fact that they think they have the answers, but also if someone that doesn't um, allow you to the opportunity to add or partake into the group, then people aren't, aren't going to want to be part of that group. Mm. So something else is coming up for me here. You, you shared a post recently, Mike, um, regarding an organisation that you and some colleagues were doing some work with called Vitellus. Oh, yeah. um, up in Seal Sands and this really makes me smile a lot because I my day job a lot of people ask me what my day job is and it's actually in sales and marketing for a <laughs> chemical distribution company and Fidelis in, indeed is one of our customers and I'd really like to explore if I may for a moment with you how how does working with what is quite a sort of traditional sector like the chemical industry how well received was this message from you and your peers around self-awareness in order to try and build high performance team did it land did it not land what were some of the challenges you came up against i think with the team with uh, fatalis they really resonated with them um they were they were, came came through some really difficult challenges in the past and that now they uh, there's new leadership there and the the response towards the new leadership was amazing 
because um, I think they had such a uh, troubled time before that that actually they've got someone now that wants to listen to them. Is actually investing time to gain clarity and direction, which is a fresh breath air to them. And the whole team were just so engaged throughout because the the new leadership was trying to achieve everything we've just spoke about now, uh, and they were really driving it and leading it, and actually uh, again making themselves vulnerable to realise, yeah, we've not been great in the past. We need to do better. We've got some absolutely tremendous challenges in front of us and if we don't pull together and do it together we're not going to achieve those yeah i think i might be calling on you uh mike as i i've not i've been struggling to find anybody that's done any meaningful work within the chemical industry and uh, knowing that you have we may be speaking again <laughs> yeah that'd be great uh, i'll definitely uh, see where we can add value well i just think what's really powerful in what you're just describing for me is you know we you know, I'm not a big fan of generalizations and stereotyping the generations, Mike, but there is something about um, historical um, paradigms or, or, or organizational sectors. And for me, you know, oil and gas and big, big energy and, and chemicals is one of those that hasn't evolved its thinking very much in many years. So to hear that this example is so, so powerful for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, companies that fall into that old narrative because it's, it's, it's where we where we brought up to it's our values and beliefs that shape through our time and especially once we leave our parents and then we go into organizations those values and beliefs are then forced into how we think we should be doing things and uh, we we tend to neglect um two big things in organizations one what i briefly talked about which is the VUCA environment actually that's that's a constant just accept it and what can we do to mitigate and the other one is that the deep-rooted values and beliefs that are instilled in our senior leaders from the time that they've engaged into a new industry, say a lot of things, and they've worked themselves up and they still think that that's the way we must do things. And unless we can change their view and show them that actually those thoughts, that they might have worked back then, but the world's changing rapidly and we need to have a new lens on um, what we're doing as an organisation if we want to uh, carry on succeeding. Yeah, that, that's, that's quite fascinating for me, actually, because you know, they, they talk, I don't know how many reports are out there, Mike, around so many billions per year are spent on leadership development, but looking at you know, the impact of that leadership development um, isn't always easy or straightforward. So I was wondering, in terms of the work that you do, you know, how how are you able using your um, model to sort of measure progress from sort of step A to step B to step C? So we um, we assess the culture from the start. So the culture goes into a lot of things about the sort of human side to how they have clarity in the sort of organisation of role to the performance. And we use a lot of this data, not only quantitative data, but we uh, then go in and do qualitative element of it. So we we get the the sort of trends from the the, the data that we're receiving from the perceptions of the employees from the most senior leader all the way down, which I think is important because a lot will only focus on what the senior leadership thinks going wrong. Mm. But we will look from top to bottom and bottom up, and then we can go in and do the uh, contextual side. So we're going and actually ask around these trends what's actually going in to get the context further on it what this allows us to do is have that understanding of what's going on along with all the other um data we receive in the organization performance kpis whatever they want to measure and then uh, we do this process throughout but the thing with our process that we do we constantly are embedding it into the fabric of the organization so we're not making it stand alone as the people strategy we're actually including that always into the actual strategies they're intertwined so the culture and strategy they say our oh, culture is strategy for breakfast and vice versa actually unless they exist together they're both useless because if you haven't got strategy and you've got a lot of culture then you've just got a fun place to be if you just got strategy and no culture then you've just got a really to toxic place to be so getting them both together actually leads to a powerful um, combination. But then at the end, we measure it again 
we measure all the way through what we've done and then we can actually show you some really tangible results from something that's behavioral which as you all know is quite hard to measure oh that's awesome that's, that's, that sounds really fascinating actually but what what are some of the for, for our listeners um, and for myself mike what would you say the sort of top one or two challenges are with clients that you've worked with or are working with to try and get them towards this more human-centered humanistic approach to leading from the old ways what are the sort of one or two biggest challenges that you help them overcome uh oh, quite a big question there gary um <laughs> sorry, sorry. That. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, i think the um the biggest challenge is just realizing the um the effect that culture has so <laughs> when you're talking about um culture people don't really get it because it's not a tangible thing that isn't easily uh, quantifiable so just to get them to open up to realize actually your organization is a group of people and humans aren't self-directed they're actually um, what they do is formed by the norm the group norm so if that's not positive then you're not going to get the results you want so once we can get them to realise that actually the importance of measuring what we're doing, um, I think is key because my biggest struggle is a lot of organisations want a quick fix. Mm. They want me to turn up and go, do you know what? I've got this three-day course here. Um, come on this three-day course and I promise I'll turn your leaders into like the, most, the best leaders in the whole wide world and all your organisational problems are going to be solved when it's not like that with me i'll be looking ideally for a long-term approach to have actionable change so i think that's sort of the biggest two i've got there is one actually importance of culture and how leadership really drives the culture and two is that it's not going to be fixed overnight you have to invest in it that's that's, that's a really interesting reflection for me actually i'm i i, I quite often might get not not torn, but you know, I think language is so pervasive, isn't it? Particularly in the sort of work that you're doing, that we're all doing. In that, you know, I really believe that anything to do with our people is an investment. Yet yeah, it moves onto a balance sheet as a cost, and I think that really flips the mindset around having to justify investment in these human beings that ultimately have got exponential potential. Oh yeah, definitely, and that's the thing where you, I can always tell when I speak to someone if they see the people in their organisation as a commodity as a as a tick box exercise or i see i'm speaking to a person that actually realizes the value in developing um the talent they've got and developing the people um and that's that's really where you need to be if there's an organization that just sees them as a tick box right we're going to send them on this mental health awareness thing because we have to not because do you know what would be great to um, have these people in it can identify something early so we can actually do something about it before it gets out of hand uh, really got me thinking got me thinking there mike i'd what i'd like to explore if i may with you a little bit and i, I appreciate most of your time spent in the corporate sector but i'm really intrigued mainly because i'm a massive Eng england rugby fan and it'd be remiss of me not to do a little bit of a fan for you mike <laughs> in that you did you did do some leadership development work with the RFU in the past and I'm just wondering do you see common challenges across the sort of short-termism culture etc you know when you used to work with them um, or when you do any work with the sort of rugby union or, or allied uh, clubs are they, are they all the same sort of human challenges or do they differ across sectors what's your sort of take on that I think with with sport you've got quite a vicious feedback loop straight away because uh, the results are sort of every every week they're going out to play and then that result will affect something so where in organizations you could take months before you actually see the sort of any feedback of how things are going which is can be positive in a sense but with sports it's there you've got results and what i find is that the pressure on the rugby on the coaches to get results will force them to um, take very short short-term action so they will just make 
uh, instead of thinking about how can we future-proof us and develop us even more, it's a case of, right, what can we do now? What can we throw money at? Or who can we buy now to fix this problem right away? And they try and end up actually going for like the, old, the all-star method, which we know doesn't really work, instead of actually thinking, right, what, what can we learn from this? And how, what can we do now um, to develop the team um, for the future? It's, it's funny, isn't it? We, we, we keep coming back to the sort of short versus long-term um, paradigm, don't we? Oh, yeah. It's, it's massive. I think people, they forget how important it is to just look beyond because it gives you, by understanding where you want to go, and we know that the, the external environment's volatile and things will change, but by having that long-term view gives you a clear guide so when things aren't going well, you know you can do slight adjustments to get you back onto track. Instead of if you keep that short-term view, every time something goes wrong, you're pretty much trying to do massive changes or regains to get you work to where you think you need to go. It's, it's so so interesting. You know, a comment that you said earlier on as well around this sort of VUCA environment is that it's constant. There's a real sort of paradox, isn't there? That the one thing that's guaranteed is it's going to be volatile. Oh, yeah. Um, that's the thing. People spend, well, they keep saying people, but organisations, they, they know it's there, but they try and sort of force their way through it, like brute strength, um, where actually you just accept it, it's there, and then look, actually, what, what's happening internally in your culture that's causing even more friction against it. And a lot of the time is about how we communicate. Um, have we got clarity within our organization? So do people understand what they're doing? How does that impact on the, the long-term plan of what, or the goals that we're trying to achieve? And by doing that, you're creating a greater sense of awareness so that, and, and autonomy because they've got the information to be able to um, steer slightly left or right if they need to to be able to carry on to the the chosen direction that the organization is going to you're giving so much rich feedback um mike i just want to give a little summary for our listeners as to as to where we are you know some of my big takeaways here really powerful around clarity vulnerability self-awareness humility communication marginal gains you know all of this stuff is within our power isn't it you know none of it's sort of lofty and you know, out of our control. Oh, no, no, it's, it's there. It just takes time. And the thing is as well, it takes time where we need strong leaders to uh, set the example, and allow it to happen. But when I say strong, I don't mean this um, archetypal vision of what we've got leaders, these big burly people that are just shouting direction. It's actually, no, strong leadership is about leaders that are self-aware that have situation humility and that can have the emotional intelligence to communicate and to enable teams to collaborate that's that's the leadership that's strong leadership that we need in this um modern environment on that note mike is there anybody that represents that for you it could be it could be a friend it could be a big name you know are there any examples that come to mind for you that really role model that strong leadership for you right now um, I think uh, probably the top of my head. Uh, I've had uh, loads of examples sort of in the past. I've seen it um, recently. I'm not too sure, to be fair. I probably, uh, I, I guarantee we'll close this um, podcast and then it'll jump at me and go, oh, why didn't I say that? But at the moment, I'm struggling to sort of see that happening. I've, I'm working with some really forward-thinking leaders at the moment which are actually demonstrating that because they realize that um things aren't right and i think that's what um i see quite often as a as a strong leader someone that actually can sit back and go do you know what things aren't right i don't know what isn't right but i'm willing to take some time now to investigate it um look at the evidence and then do something about it yeah. And, and, and you know something, I, I, I'm totally with you on it. You know, and I appreciate it's a difficult question, but I think it's, you know, the time it takes you to reflect on it. And for me as well, 
I, I you know there's a few people because I'm grateful for this podcast I get to speak to or I'm made aware of, but I can count on one hand, Mike, the number of real life examples that role model this way of living and being on a big scale. There's lots of people like you and I trying to do it ourselves and help other people, but we do lack, I think, at a societal level, this sort of leadership, this vulnerable, inclusive, aware leadership. Yeah, I think that's around what, again, what I was coming about, these deep-rooted beliefs about what a leader is and the mm. investment in leadership and the right type of leadership. Because I know billions of um, dollars get spent on leadership, but we've got a question about what is it they're actually doing and is it at the right level? Because you have people going through organisations that are promoted because they were technically good at their job mm. but not necessarily had the opportunity to hone their leadership skills and it's not because they haven't got it it's that they it's a big jump to do and if you've not been given an opportunity to learn the new skills and also what's more important is to actually practice those skills and hone them um and they seem to just keep just getting promoted and promoted promoted to quite a level where they they probably not necessarily not through their own fault but not equipped to to deal with people in that sense of leadership that we've just talked about but they're in that position and the the organizational structure behind them doesn't allow them the opportunity to be vulnerable and say do you know what i'm not really quite sure um about what i'm doing um i could do probably a bit of help here because their performance reviews are asking, are they competent at those roles? And if they say no, then that probably means that they're not going to get promoted or they're not going to get the opportunities um, available to them. That's such a cracking point. Such a cracking point. I'm really glad you shared that because I, I sometimes forget about, you know, we, we can forget when we're talking leaders, organisations, that they are all human. You know, we are all human beings we're talking about, including those that are struggling or, a, you know, a, a stuck in a system where they can't be vulnerable. And I just love your comment about practice. You know, how do we create the leadership programs of which you're offering, you know, other people are offering, you know, I'm coming up with my own idea as well. It's like, how can we actually create the program and human-centered space holding almost in a way to let people practice what it feels like? Because ultimately it's, it's how you make people feel, isn't it? And not what you actually say to them that in the end is going to make the difference. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, thing we do with uh, our program because it's over a long period of time we we create a real sort of um a peer program so that the we'll look at definitely stuff like self-awareness and we look at key um quick wins that they're going to apply but what we do is we review those so not only do we make the training um, relevant to what they're doing and it's practical so they can go out and try it but also we're giving them peer support because they're on there to help each other out but then at the end when we come back together the the first part is all about reviewing that and what happened how did it go uh, what feedback did you get uh, did it feel comfortable um, and actually did it get the result you want and if not what do you need to change to ensure that happens and it's about having that opportunity to do you know what feel safe to say do you know what? it didn't work um, I'm not sure why uh, this is what happened and then get the peers around them to say, do you know what? Yeah, I've done a similar thing. That's why it didn't work for me. How, how about that? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah fair one. Uh, that makes sense. And it just gives them an opportunity to just practice and um, to develop, really. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's really nice. What, what I like about what you spoke to there, Mike, is around this more collaborative approach to development of the team versus this competitive winner-takes-all approach. Yeah, I think we, um, again, this is, comes back, I think we realise that to be successful, um, to be resilient in, in organisations, we need to be collaborative. But again, we've got this paradox where the, the processes from the organisation don't allow that to happen. So we, we need to really think about how our people strategy against our actual organisational strategy and processes and what's conflicting what's causing the friction to to um stop people from doing what we want because we all say oh we want these leaders that are self-aware and they communicate 
but our processes around them don't allow that to happen. It actually incentivizes um, poor behaviour that we don't want. That's that's really fascinating. That's that's really fascinating. I mean, and I guess the you know the processes, as much as we do need them in an organisational system, processes ultimately end up. Yeah, and they end up controlling most of the organisational sort of progress in the end, don't they? Because we are still trying to align people with process because process is still the dominant mindset. Back to your point about Taylorism. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think until we... And the thing is, it comes so ingrained that people sort of forget they're there and they forget that they're directed by them. But just open up that conversation about, okay, what do you want? Um, okay, what's actually happening within the organization that is conflicting about what you want okay and then what can we do about it so obviously some process we we can't get rid of like um saying to an organization you you can't worry about profit well that's not going to happen but okay but how can we um how can we change that sort of guideline of right this is our target but how can we actually change that target to incentivize people to go beyond it instead of it driving what people do. Awesome. Awesome. I'll tell you what, Mike, we knew this would be a great conversation. We're, uh, we're flying along towards the end. Um, if you don't mind me, as we look to wrap up, you spoke really vulnerably yourself as you opened your introduction to this conversation today around the fact that, you know, you had P PTSD, etc. How do you find for you to sort of share that as a message you know, when you go out with clients, is that something that you publicly talk about? Is that just part of your journey? If it comes up, you mention it. If it helps the conversation flow, for example. You know, how do you sort of, how does that come up for you in terms of your experience of, uh, of mental health and as and when you may, may discuss that? Um, it's something that I it took for a long time. And I think there's a lot of people there that know me from when I was in, probably wouldn't know that I had this. It's not something that I've, I've actually really, on the, big scale opened up about because it's it's quite something quite personal it's a really hard journey but the reason why i probably do mention it is one it helps me sort of uh, make sense of it um as part of my development to understand actually from where i was to where i am now and how i've achieved that which is good and it allows me to be able to share some of that and it was it was this journey that i went on that gave me the understanding of all stuff human that we talk about and and about i remember when i first started or i didn't realize i had the problem i just knew something was wrong but um the military at the time wasn't really a place where you talked about this sort of stuff so i held it in for a long time mm. to the point where i i couldn't control my emotions anymore um and i was just getting angry i was just breaking down crying and it really drives me to want to change the way organizations do things to actually make it so it's all right to talk and i'm not just saying about mental health i'm all about everything it's all right to you can be yourself you can give stuff to the organization and you should be able to talk without um feeling that you might get um berated or humiliated it's all about actually how how can we create an environment where people can actually give themselves to the work and actually enjoy giving the work without feeling that they have to hide part of themselves to be a part of that organization yeah it's wonderful thank you thank you so much for, for expanding on it because it, it is a real inspiration you know not only just anyway for, for anybody that talks about mental health publicly for me as a hero in their own right but the fact you came from the military, you've gone on your journey, and, you know, it's just super, super inspiring. And I can see why you're doing the work you're doing, Mike, because, you know, if you're if your ability to, you know, to know what's going on in the work context, you've got this background in, in rugby, you can talk mental health personally and professionally. You know, it's just, it's so inspiring to see, Mike. So I really, I'm really grateful for you doing that, mate. Oh, no, no. I, I appreciate uh, you, Gary, for letting me come on here and um, just have a voice, which is really good and to be able to talk to someone like yourself that just understands it is so it's so good and refreshing it actually gives me enjoyment to talk about these things
That's awesome. Well, look, I just, I just want to give you the last word regarding the, the charity you do some work with, because I think that's really inspiring as well and probably links a little bit to what we're talking about. Do you mind just maybe speaking a little bit about that, that work that you do with, uh, with that charity? Yeah, so it's a, it's a charity in, uh, based in Milton Keynes, Luton. Um, uh, it's quite brilliant. It's, it's growing. They want to grow it to be a national charity. It's called Transitions UK. And uh, what Transitions UK do is it's for those people that have been in uh, care their whole whole life so they've been in the social system their whole life be it fostering or through the, the council but when they come to the adulthood where they're now too old for that help but there's nothing really there for them after that mm-hmm. so we're um, we're here as mentors to bridge that gap really so to take them from where they've been I'll say sheltered but they haven't had the greatest opportunities um, afforded to them but we mentor them to for about 18 months to get them from that point to get them into a stable home stable career and actually start getting some normality and sort of uh, enjoyment back in life that's stunning and that, that, that's i'd really like actually offline to talk to you about that um, and i'm going to put a shout out to one of my volunteering roles which is action for children and a very similar sort of thing. It's a befriending role called the independent visitor where you meet up with a young person once a month who's in the care system, um, but, but outside of the social, sorry, outside of actually social care. And yeah. I just think it's such great work you're doing there, Mike. I'd really like to have a chat with you about, uh, about what you're doing actually offline. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it's great what you're doing too. And I think it's it's responsibility of society to look after each other and realise that actually we need to get back to social... Um, social way that we've we formed from and actually start looking after people in our society that needs us well i think that's just a, a stunning way and perfect way to wrap up our chat mike how can people get hold of you what's the best way to to contact you um i would go onto my website which is www.leadershipbyinspiration.com um, or you can get me on linkedin mike jones quite a common name so uh look for leadership by inspiration on linkedin and hopefully i should um appear uh, or Twitter at, at Leader Inspires. They're probably the best ways to get hold of me. And I try and be active on those. Amazing. Well, I'll make sure all of those details are in the show notes of this podcast, Mike. And uh, thanks again for your time this evening. You've been an absolute joy. I know. It's been a pleasure being on there, Gary. And thank you for giving this opportunity to talk to you. Really Love enjoyed it. Take care. Have a good evening. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye. Hello there, just Gary Turner wrapping up this excellent conversation with Mike Jones, founder of Leadership by Inspiration. Blown away by so many of the messages that Mike shared. Some of them come up with common themes um, throughout this podcast, but some of the ones I'd really like to point to, which I think are quite unique, was I really liked how Mike spoke about stepping outside the shadow of leadership and just being more honest, i.e. leading with more vulnerability. I thought this is a really powerful comment because leadership so often is seen as this hero um, role within an organization. And I would agree with Mike that actually there's quite a lot of fear, I feel, around leadership. So actually our leaders today in 2019 quite often actually in the shadows, playing that invulnerable role, hiding behind the metrics, hiding behind their fear and worry and anguish. Whereas actually we want to support them, those right across the organization, to step out of their um, shadows and into their courage and into their power. And by actually releasing control, by empowering other people to have a voice, by seeking innovation from those around us, it will actually help some of those leaders step out of the shadows. That was such a powerful message for me, and I really appreciate Mike sharing that. I also enjoyed how Mike spoke about, in a number of different ways, um, the fact that we need to be looking at more sustainable, longer-term operating systems around our people and not in spite of them you know organizations as mike said try and force their way through the vuca environment with brute strength however if we communicate more clearly with more clarity getting the voice of the people involved in those conversations we can actually navigate this vuca world in fact if anybody's interested i have an article coming out with hr zone 
on next Monday, the 15th of July, with my version of what I think um, the VUCROL um, environment actually is from a human-centered point of view and not from a fear-centered point of view. Also, it's also good to hear that Mike is working with some forward-looking leaders, um, but we both, you can hear it in Mike's voice, you can hear it in our voices in this conversation. We do lack the public role models of, uh, of leading. If we look at our political systems, if we look at it in, in most of our, our leading business organizations, it's still heavily fear-based, heavily control-based, heavily short-termist, whereas what Mike's pointing to, what I know, what many of you will probably know, is that it really is this heart-led leadership. You know, Claude Silver, as chief heart officer of VaynerMedia, you know, you can't get a better example than her when we're, we're talking about leading with heart, leading with compassion, leading with vulnerability, leading with awareness, which is one of Mike's key areas of focus. You know, it does take time. You know, as David Marquet said back on episode seven of this uh, Value Through Vulnerability podcast, you know, people are a long-term bet. They're a long-term investment. We can't turn organizations around. We can't navigate these volatile um, environments without our people being alongside and with us. So really fascinating conversation for me, this with Mike. And just a final wrap-up point from me, I really enjoyed how he also spoke to the fact that the processes that many organizations operate with actually go against collaboration. So as much as we try to improve collaboration, cross-functional working, et cetera, so often it's the processes, or as I'm seeing a lot at the moment, the technology that is actually leading the conversation rather than it being the people who use the systems leading the conversation. So my plea to you, if you're listening to this, if you're independent, if you work for an organization, let's be a bit more courageous. Let's identify with our colleagues. Let's run some experiments. What are the processes that are getting in the way? Where is it that technology is actually hampering us getting our work done rather than actually enabling us getting work done? And what can you, the listener, do? What can we do together to actually help challenge and be courageous and come up with new innovative ideas and ways of working because you and those that are around us have the answers. You all have the questions and the answers within you. So be curious as Rebecca Monique spoke about last week, you know, get out there. No one's stopping you coming up with an idea or a solution or trying a new way of working. Don't wait. One of my favorite terms is don't wait for permission, beg for forgiveness. I hope that resonates. I look forward to getting your feedback. Mike would also look forward to the same. Um, I really appreciate Mike sharing his wisdom and indeed also being vulnerable to talk about his own mental health um, challenges. He really is such a beacon of hope and light, I feel, at just the time that we need it. So do connect with Mike. Do connect with myself at Gary Turner Zero on Twitter. And if you did enjoy this podcast, we'd really appreciate you leaving some feedback via different social um, uh, media platforms or indeed via the iTunes podcast app. And until next time, um, we'd be really appreciated if you could leave us some feedback. Um, next week, you'll hear from Michael Gelb, who's the co-author of the book, The Healing Organization with Raj Sasodia. And uh, have a wonderful weekend, one and all. Thank you.